Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 34 of the Simple Life Podcast with me, Simba. As always, I am joined by my cohort and co-host, cohort and co-host, Mr. Maka. That's a good, ominous start to the uh, podcast. How are you doing, dear brother? It is, but it gave me enough uh, time to actually fucking fully swallow some of this water and not fucking choke. So I'm good. Bit stressed out. Had to do some excess checks and I'm fingers fucking crossed that there isn't going to be any issues on this episode but i feel like i've just jinxed the absolute shit out of it so there you go over to you my friend and excellent well we we shall see we'll find out at the end of this and i've just noticed as well that you can probably see i keep going to wipe a smudge off the screen it's not i, I banged my head um while gardening this weekend so it's not actually a smudge it is a scratch <laughs> anyway today's guest um is somebody that you may have seen recently on the 50 years of murder the misuse of drugs act lives that we did across Twitch, uh, Facebook, and YouTube. He is a political strategist and campaign consultant. He is the founder of Transform Drugs, uh, Transform Drugs uh, Policy Foundation, who promote public health, human rights, and social justice through drug policy reform. And he has subsequently since retired, hence the reason he has time to give us wonderful little folk uh, a bit of his time. How are you doing, Danny? I'm good. It's really good to be here. Excellent, excellent. Could you tell the fine folks uh, a bit more about sort of your your work over the past twenty years about um, uh, transform? Yeah, so uh, I I uh, retired from transform a couple of years ago now uh, after twenty five years of campaigning uh, for drug policy reform and most importantly the uh, legalizing legal legalization and regulation of currently prohibited substances. Um. Uh, I began that in the mid-90s. At the time, uh, I was working as a drug counsellor in the criminal justice system uh, at Bristol Drug Project, um, working with heavy-end crack and heroin users whose lives were, were made incalculably, incalculably more difficult because of the fact that the drugs that they were using were illegal. Um, and it just... It, 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 it just seemed to me to be an abhorrence to be inflicting that on some of the saddest, most damaged people that I'd met. Um, plus, I'd, I'd been a, a recreational uh, drug user of both legal and illegal drugs for, for years, and uh, I didn't think that the state had a right to interfere uh, in what I did with my own head and my own body. Um, so the combination of, 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 of the desire for, for freedom from interference by the state together with the social justice push to just shift the, the, the way that the state dealt with, with, with people's drug use and thence people's where they got those drugs from, so supply and production. And it then gets into a global issue, but we can, we can get into that. But predominantly it was to do with, 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 with use when I first started. Excellent, excellent. I suppose that answers quite, uh, quite well. This was the first question uh, on my quite long list, it will, will be said, um, was sort of why that you, you started and founded Transform. I think you've given sort of a good insight there. Um, I also want to thank you just for your, your general honesty around your own sort of consumption. I think that's something that is far too often hidden by people that have the same sort of well intention, but I think too often um, by hiding that it creates or perpetuates a certain stigma. So I just sort of want to thank you for, for not perpetuating oh, that. Well, 
Well, th- I, I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. For me, it's really, really important. And it's, it's partly to do with just telling the truth, uh, but it's also to a great extent to do with, with expressing solidarity with, with people who find themselves at the mercy of, of, of uh, a violent state intervention. Um, or who just find themselves in difficulties with drugs. And I think that, that, that it's, it's important that those of us who, who are clear that it's not gonna impact negatively on our, on our lives, just fess up. It's really, really important. And it's a game changer. If you look at somebody like Dr. Carl Hart, who's been very open about his drug use, mm. um, and who is also a, a, a senior academic, and uh, and a campaigner for change, it makes a huge difference. And it it actually, it's it's only by by being honest about that that you can actually be coherent. It doesn't make sense, I don't think. No, no, it's not what I think. It just isn't coherent um, to not not be honest about that. And that that isn't about putting pressure on people to, to, to out themselves. And I certainly don't agree with other people outing Counting, counting others, but but it's it's. I think it enables you to be to be more coherent about what you're doing. Mm. I think it it gives a certain credibility to it throughout the the classes as well. If you're then somebody who is then dependent, living a sort of street life, as it were, to put it very crudely but concisely, um, you then look at people from high up in academia and in what you perceive as their ivory towers and go, what do you know? You've never tried drugs. You don't know the, the feeling of why you don't, you don't have that other more uh, understanding of the motivator. And they just feel that they're looking at this through a purely academic lens and taking in um, all of the incalculable studies and going, it's still the user's fault. It's they're not looking at it. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I'd go that far. I'm not sure that it, it, it that, that that's, that's not the other side of the coin for me. I think that because I've met lots of people who've not used illegal drugs, um, who do understand because, and they understand because they have hearts, they understand because they recognize that they're fellow human beings. Um, and they, they can, you know, you've, you've got to be, you've got to torture the evidence significantly to not see just the, what the product of putting in place a system like prohibition will produce. And, and I think that people who are prepared to be honest about the nature of the relationship between cause and effect, um, that will take you about 99% of the way without needing to be honest about your, your, your drug use or, or, or non-drug use. I, th- I think, so I, I'm not sure I'd go that far. I think there's a real danger, actually, of, 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 of pushing people out of the debate. Because I've, I've had people say to me when I've talked to them about this, and they say, well, I, you know, I've never taken drugs. And it's like, well, that doesn't actually matter. You know, there's, there's lots of people who campaign for, for, for gay rights or for abortion law reform or um, uh, on, on race issues who, who, who aren't from... Uh, uh, the oppressed group, and I think it's really, really important that this is, <clears throat> excuse me, an intersectional um, uh, campaign. It needs to be recognised that you don't have to be uh, a drug user to be to be active in, in, in yeah. pushing for reform. 
Yeah, that's, that's uh, not quite sort of what I um Sorry, I meant, I meant misinterpreting it was quite, no, what it's, you were it's, saying. No, it's good. It's, it's quite all right. Because actually, as you were saying it, I was challenging myself to my beliefs and kind of what I was saying. So it's always good to have um, a, a challenging conversation, I guess, at that point. But what, what I meant in terms of the sense of the end user feeling that it's people in ivory towers in academia oh, who, sorry, who, I have, see what you mean. who have no lived experience <coughs> sorry, I get going, you now. well yeah. our studies say this and if you don't conform it's like well how the hell could you know this have you known poverty have you known homelessness have you known hopelessness have you you really known hunger you know that those kind of mechanisms that come from the extreme end of dependency when a system is not in place to support but actively punishes and i think mm -hmm. that People like Dr. Carl Hart, especially being um, a black man as well, and coming from the level of academia that he does, he hits so many different um, mm -hmm. subgroups and demographics of individuals that hear him and see what he's doing and go, shit, shit. Because the, the sheer number of cannabis consumers I know in the UK that saw when he, he started publishing and came out as, a, as an active, as he termed, I think, recreational heroin user, um, people were just like, wow, smackhead, wow. And there was just this huge bolstering and push of, of, of hatred and almost justified righteous hatred from one group of oppressed onto another. And so I think, it, like I said, it's, it's so brilliant that there are people getting into those conversations. And like you say, I, I do believe that there are a lot of people within those realms of study who don't have that li lived experience, but have come to a logical conclusion, which most of us do. Prohibition sure. cannot work. The drugs are all already here. There are consequences and dangers. A certain percentage of people are at risk. We need to help those people, not, not harm everybody to try and prevent the few from, from risking the harm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, totally agree with you. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll only row with you when necessary. From here <laughs> I always enjoy a good conversation and always like, like being challenged. Because genuinely, like I said, I thought that... <laughs> I may have expressed that differently, but I, I get where I was going with it. Sure. What I was going to say is just to interject briefly here is I think it's important for people that are sort of thinking about fessing up, as you would say, um, about their consumption. The act of consumption in itself is not illegal. You, you know what I mean? It's important for that to be to be outlined to people, because here's the thing. It, it does carry with it implication. And, you know, all uh, people can make assumptions, say, if you're in a professional manner and somebody you're you're, you know, a daily a daily consumer, let's say, and you do get to a point where uh, you're going grant. Do you know what? I'm just going to be honest here. And that 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 is putting a decent amount of faith in the other person to not have those stigmas already preset in their minds. Do you understand? So that there's the risk. There's the, there's why it, it you know there there might be a a, a, a greater number of or say just say cannabis consumers. So what was it five odd million plus or whatever that may may be semi reluctant to get involved in this. But I mean it is it it is personal. It is personal to you. But just remember that it is the consumption part of it is not illegal. It's it, it, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And it also reminds me, if we go back in the day to when we first set up, that there was not only a taboo about talking about your own uh, personal drug use, there was a taboo also on calling for reform. So people used to talk about, uh, well, I'm, I'd, I'd lose my job if I called for legalization. Um, 
and it was just a, I mean, it was, it was very much a story. I don't think anyone's ever lost their job for calling for legalization. Um, but, but I think that I'm not everything that I know of. But I, but all I, I was thinking there was David Nutt was the only person that came to mind. Yeah. But I think that was more, <laughs> that was more of a he, that, To be fair, that's not, what he, that's not what he lost his job for. It was the reclassification um, of the, the harms of drugs. Well, no, it wasn't that either. I mean, if you, if you go back and you look at what happened to David, David's very clear what David talked about that I think riled the Home Office in a way that, that, that meant that his position was untenable was he said that that you were less likely to die taking ecstasy than you were horse riding and and i think that there it would i can't imagine that david didn't think that his job was was going to be open to him after he said that um i can't and i've not talked in detail to this uh, about this with, with with David, but anyone in that position who had said that must have known that their their job, uh, which was was overseen by the Home Secretary, um, saying something like that, they couldn't possibly be the chair of the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs in that environment. I don't think they could now either. And I don't think they could be, either be a member, but but I th I think that that's to do with politics, and I think that 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 I mean the, the other thing is 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 that it was certainly a role, <clears throat> it was an important role, but it, it wasn't a paid job, and I think that 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 that, 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 that it's important to recognise that that there are ways and means of of uh, of putting ideas across that mean that you can, you can maintain a position, a public position of authority and ways and means that mean that you can't. And I'm not dissing David for that. I can't imagine though that he didn't, he, he, he couldn't have thought that that was, that was gonna enable him to, mm -hmm. to get brownie points from the home sec <laughs> by, by presenting it as, 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 as bluntly as that. It was, a, it was a hell of a thing to do. I think it was an important thing to do. And it certainly will have brought people into the debate who wouldn't have been otherwise. Um, whereas people who, who will have looked at the, the, the papers that he's written, looking at the comparative harms associated with different drugs, who won't have poured their way through those things, certainly will have sat up and, and uh, been made to think mm. because of that comparison that he made. But that was a really important public statement and a hell of a thing to have done, but no way was he going to keep his job. <laughs> yeah, it's in, in, interesting. I mean, given the everything that had kind of happened in the years leading up to that around sort of cannabis going up and down around other sort of conversations, um, it, it did feel for a little bit, I think that the, the work, there was some uh, momentum, there was some something sort of being being gained, gained there. And I, I kind of feel that it may have either been done through a point of naivety or even a point of, the the time that he'll have spent interacting with media you kind of understand what needs to be said in order to to reverberate and i think that it's a wonderful comparison um because of the the class implication of it um and yeah the, the, it was just it, i think it really as you said it struck a chord so kind of um viscerally to, to a lot of policymakers that they're kind of well shit 
And as you say, the current state of uh, the ACMD at the minute, I think with what's going on with the pressure from Kit Malthouse and others, it's probably going to get worse before it's going to get better, if anything. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the pressure's already all, always been there. I think that the, 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 the problem is that, that, and if you look at the, the way that ACMD, the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, was, was begotten, it was created out of the Misuse of Drugs Act. Um, and in some senses, for the right reasons, it was there to, to bring science and evidence to, to policymakers and politicians in order that the, the, the Misuse of Drugs Act worked, um, that it actually did what it said on, on, on the tin, as it were, which was to reduce harm. The problem is that because it was formed within the Home Office, which was operating from the get-go, uh, from the, 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 the Misuse of Drugs Act, which was originally the, the, the Misuse of Drugs Bill, because it was explicitly and overarching, uh, underpinning, it was a piece of prohibition-based prohibition legislation. The, 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 the evidence was never going to be able to play. Mm. Because if, they, if it, so, the, the, there was a real problem in terms of applying science through the uh, uh, a body that sat within the government department that oversees prohibition. It doesn't make sense to to. It's just again, it's to do with the tenability of of, of an environment that wouldn't allow David uh, to say what he said in terms of comparing ecstasy use with horse riding and applying evidence in a situation that is primarily driven by ideology and by politics. It, 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 it's, it, it, evidence won't sit in there, it can't. It's, it's, so there's a real problem with the, with, the, with the entire nature of the advisory council, which has never been able to publicly present clear evidence of the, 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 the catastrophic impact that the Misuse of Drugs Act has had. Mm. It's it's, I almost kind of feel like we need something in countenance to this because as you said, truth and knowledge is anathema to ideology they've already decided the bounds of the ship, they're not going to let any object mm -hmm. pass through it, you, you mm -hmm. either fit it to fit, fit it to go through or it doesn't go through and I almost feel like there should be some sort of independent body of people studying the misuse of drugs act or just prohibition in general and then its impact Instead, well, of, that, instead to, of looking fair, at that, drugs, that was, actually that, looking at the impact of the policy, because that's they, done they, well. they have, and there are there are lots of organisations that have, including Release and Transform, and and David's group, the the uh, the Independent Science Group, and that's in 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 effect what David did when he left, hmm. set up an independent group in in the same way that you had with Sage Group for for COVID and the Independent Sage Group, so the the the. the but the problem with that is that its very independence leaves it outside and out with the, the policymaking process. So it can only ever shout from outside and will rarely be taken seriously from within the beast. Do you think we'll ever see a drugs minister? Do you think if the war ever ends, we'll actually have a minister who deals with alcohol, tobacco, in my ideal world, <laughs> sugar? Um, and, and everything else currently elicited. Well, I, th I think then the, 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 I think once you really open this up for discussion and begin to explore what we actually want, the question is: Do we do we need uh, uh, a specific drug policy? 
And the reason we have the, the level of, of, see, I came to the conclusion many years ago that drug policy actually isn't a real thing. What we have is, is uh, uh, an area of human life that is heavily and catastrophically impacted by prohibition. Um, and it looks like it's primarily to do with drugs, but it isn't. These are issues to do with the relationship between citizen and state, between citizen and government, between uh, uh, black people uh, and brown people and the state, between subcultures and the state, between, so it's, it's actually a and class and, and a whole lot of other things. That, that, that look like they congregate around drugs. They actually don't. And I think there's a danger really, e even if you really level the playing field and bring in things like uh, nicotine, alcohol, benzodiazepines, antidepressants um, uh, and sugar, that, that, that you actually then begin to, to, to almost disconnect from, from the human uh, and mm. the the, the genuinely political um, uh, elements of, of, of this whole thing, which exists in a much grander scheme, um, which has fuck all to do with drugs. It, it, it just looks like it does because of yeah. the impact of prohibition. So what we have is prohibition policy. And then you have a whole lot of things that come out of that. And then a whole lot of things that are there to either defend the prohibition, to ameliorate, mitigate the prohibition, or to actually um, uh, counter it. But, and, and then it looks like it's all about drugs, but I'm not sure that it is. And I think that, that, that when you really open this stuff up, that it's, it, it, it isn't really about drugs at all. Entirely, entirely. I've often said that it's, um, you used the perfect word for it, an intersection, that it's, it's an intersection between um, sort of a disconnection in people's identity and their function within their day-to-day -day lives and often a juxtaposition between their expectation and their reality, it's escapism. And I think that any time that people find a route to this, you're more likely to find a route to this in certain economic, socioeconomic situations and locations. Um, and I think that that has been deliberately mechanized to, as you say, cur curtail certain behavior, to cur curtail certain groups from, from organizing, from being able to recognize and fight for their rights. And they've done this wonderfully. And yeah, they get to say drugs and then they get to target certain ethnic areas, certain socioeconomic areas. And I think mm. that, that, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to then change that, that sort of, or include that discussion in drugs because then people go back to a moralizing point. They, they, they go back to, to moralizing of the argument, well, they're still doing something wrong. They're choosing to, that escapism. They're choosing to engage in that behavior. And I think that it, the, it's what we're talking about for the ivory tower thing. It's often the people that they can't see that experience because they've never lived it. Can I, can I just pick up on one thing there, which I just, I've got a bit of a bugbear about this. It was one of the things that occurred to me again a few years ago. I haven't written about it and I never really spoke about it. Was the issue of moralizing. And I think that, that it, was, it was one of the things that happened very early in the, the incarnation of, of Transform. One of the, the, the kind of basic dynamics that we set up rhetorically in terms of the discourse um, and I think it was wrong, and it was it was it was it was oversimplified. Was was that it was a, a, a 
a, a battle on, on one side where you had science and on the other side where you had morals. And I think it's wrong headed for a whole load of reasons, but not least of which is something that occurred to me a few years ago was the fact that I am a highly moral person. I don't want to bring it back to me, but I, it's, it's, it's so are a lot of other drug policy reformers. The reason we do what we do is out of our moral and principled positions, our value positions. We're moral, we're moralists. And I think that, that, that there's a real danger here of only applying the term moralizer to, to one side. And I think it undermines the idea of what morals are. And it also suggests that we're immoral. And yeah, I think yeah. there's, there's and, and that's just two problems with it, but there are many others, but I think fundamentally it's just wrongheaded. Um, and I think it's really important. And it, what it led me to was to begin to think about the values and principles that underpinned not only my, but the positions, the, the position that I held. Um, and I, I then started in, and I, I did speak about it because I remember introducing myself as, as saying, you know, I was a drug user, that I was a drug policy campaigner uh, for social justice, um, and that I was a, a, a a highly moral person. I'd introduce myself as a, as a, because I think it's really, really important because it throws people a bit as well. Mm. It kind of just tips the thing on its head um, to kind of go, this is, this is a moral issue. And that's why I support legal regulation. And it, so, and it does all kinds of things within the, mm. in the debate that changes the nature of the discourse um, from one that, that, that places moralists on one side and, and, and scientists or libertarians on the other, mm. you know, whatever it is, it's, it, it, it is just not that simple. Well, yeah, we, I, I suppose in the sim, uh, I oversimplified in the term, in my head was the idea of say, uh, Christian extremists or fundamental religious individuals or just people that in their head it's God, they're illegal because they're bad. Why are they illegal? God said so, therefore it's a self-justifying and fulfilling prophecy. So on their moral, so it's almost like what I meant by that is uh, a warped sense of moralizing. Well, it's, I mean, it's not just mor that. It's, it's, morality, it's just... sorry, morality is subjective, is it not? Well, I, I would say so. And I think it's really, really important to recognize that it is. It is to do with the principles and values that, 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 that govern what you do. But I think it's also important to remember that, 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 that again, as part of that dynamic, that, that for all of us, that they're, what sits behind that or alongside it, um, uh, is our emotions. And I think that for people who find drugs and drug taking, drug dealing, drug production, frightening, scary, anxiety making, that it's, it, it isn't even to do with just being driven by uh, right wing or perverse morals or authoritarian morals, they're just freaks. And I think it's really, really important that we, we meet people at that level of, of just straight fear and actually begin to unpack what, what that's about as well. Because the danger is again, that we just hit people with a, uh, a, a, a stick for being nasty and nasty mm. to poor people who are damaged and it's, it's, it isn't that simple. It's it, 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 ignorance and fear and all kinds of other things and, and culture and also just the problems, you know. So if you look at uh, people like um, 
Mo Molam and Bob Ainsworth, who were both drug ministers under Labour governments, who after they were reshuffled out of cabinet or out of their positions, um, called for uh, legalization, that what actually stopped them from speaking out was the culture that they were in. It was verboten to even raise issues. So again, the ACMD, the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, within a prohibitionist government department can't present the truth, the evidence, the impact, uh, the, 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 the terrible impact that the Misuse of Drugs Act has had, because it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to do that. In the same way, both Mo Molam and Bob Ainsworth couldn't possibly have maintained, uh, couldn't possibly have called for reform in a, not, not, not a, just a culture, but a kind of work environment and a machine, if you like, that was, that was dedicated to war. And, and one of the analogies or, or metaphors that I've, I've used for that is imagine in the cabinet war rooms during the Second World War as, as uh, heads of various different forces are using their pointy sticks to move boats and planes and, and battalions around. And somebody walks in and goes, uh, I actually think the war isn't the best thing to do. I think we should find other ways of dealing with this. You would be out of that room so fucking fast, your feet wouldn't touch the floor. And I think that that, 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 that level of intolerance, of, of questioning of the, the fundamentals of, of machines, particularly when they've been running for decades, mm -hmm. we don't even know what that means. And unless you've, you've kind of spent time in the cabinet, uh, the, the government cabinet, you wouldn't know what the pressures are. And the years, the decades perhaps, that it's taken you to rise to a significant position of, of uh, ministerial, um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a government, uh, of being a minister, secretary of state in a government department, to then turn around or, or even a minor minister and go, I think this is fucked. I think we should stop it. You, that, that doesn't, it doesn't, you know, just think about it. That is not going to play. Well, it certainly isn't going to play if you announce that on Good Morning Britain. <laughs> well, it's it, interesting you should so bring that up. I am actually thinking of uh, Transform's latest thing that's come out recently with the 60 MPs and peers. So I think there's strength in numbers to them. I, I agree that the idea of one sticking the head above the parapet, yeah, entirely easily to take that off. There is a slow moving. Uh, I would frankly call it a coup um, through through what's occurring at the minute because it seems to be more corporation and capitalist driven than it is compassionate or uh, empathetic driven. It seems to be things like the Conservative Drug Policy Reform Group and, and others are more interested in the potential future financing of therapies involving, say, psychedelics or entheogenics and the potential market share. I mean, the the reckon that 690 million the UK CBD and hemp market was worth last year. Talking to the people I know that sell some goddamn CBD, they don't know how the hell they're valuing this thing. It's, it's been inflated and it's been pushed. And I, I feel that there is a co-option occurring and a slow coup in that they're going to move to legalize and create what I've been calling Prohibition 2.0. So they'll well, miss the human rights. They'll miss all of the other stuff and go, actually, we'll, if we just sell them the drugs, it's fine. They won't then recognize the intersection we were talking about before that are caused by policy, that are caused by poverty, that are caused by socioeconomic consequences of policies from 50, 100 goddamn years ago. I, I, I think that this is to do with the nature of power itself. 
And it depends where the shifts, where the levers are pulled in terms of uh, uh, implementing change. In the absence, and we have a, an increasingly, uh, uh, an increasing chasm in terms of the gap between, um, seems to me at least, between citizens and, and, and government. Um, what used to be called the social contract um, was torn up a long time ago. And I think that, that to the extent that government policy is, is, is not there to meet the needs of citizens, it will primarily meet the needs of power. Um, and power is, is the, 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 the power of capital, the power of politics, um, and wherever else power lies. And to the extent that, that it emerged, that change, even reform in the direction that we might want it to go, emerges from power, it will serve power. And that just seems to me to be self-evident. That's a truism. Um, to the extent that it is driven by the needs of citizens, it will meet the needs of citizens. And to the extent that it isn't, it will meet the needs of power. And, and that's, that's the way it is. And I think that fundamentally, if you want things to be different, then you have to change the nature of those dynamics. Uh, how, how can people seek to challenge this paradigm? What, what is it that the average person can do if then, unfortunately, I found that because of, again, the nature of what we said about the ACMD, that to be involved in the conversation, to get a seat at the table, you have to at least speak the language, which, yes, I guess makes sense, but in some ways it also leaves out some of the more radical pushes that, that are involved in this. And I think that it's, it's the undisclosed discourse around those more radical potential consequences or, or positive outcomes of ending the war on drugs that scares both sides. I think there are some people who are pushing now for, for reform as a way to stop what would naturally and organically occur through the social evolution of what's coming. And I think that scares them. And part of putting a legislation on it now and restricting the amount and the, the ways people can access, et cetera, is a way to prevent those social changes. Well, I'm, I'm, the thing is we have to be realistic. I, 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 I have concerns about the Prohibition 2.0 stuff. Whilst I recognize that some of the regulations that have been put in place um, do on the face of it appear to be very draconian and and and, and some of them just are um, the question is how many people are actually going to get busted under those laws you currently can conserve time for possession but hardly anybody serves time for simple possession um, so it, yes it's on the books it's 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 an awfully draconian thing but it, it, it actually isn't enforced very much on the other hand, uh, very, very weak regulations um, uh, occur if you don't enforce what needs to be enforced. And to give you an example, the 2003 Licensing Act for publicans, um, and um, I, I guess for, for people who run off licenses as well, is that they shouldn't serve people who are drunk. Hello! You know, anyone ever been to a pub and seen somebody get served when they're absolutely wazzled? I mean, for God's sake, that is a law that isn't enforced. The question is, 
Should it be? I mean, and then should it then be enforced for someone who is clearly out of their heads under the influence of any drug? Should they be served more drugs in a legal environment? So say that we, you know, once the, 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 the drug war has ended and you can legally buy lots of different drugs, what should the licensing regulations be for people who supply, whether they're pharmacists um, or, or, or people who run coffee shops or whatever, um, should there be licensing requirements that mean that people can't be served if they're totally out of their heads? Um, should there be limits on how much people can buy? Um, uh, I mean, th th most people would recognize that there do need to be age requirements. Because, you know, are you going to sell an ounce and a half of Coke to someone who's seven? Um, <laughs> the, and the answer is no. But then, but then where, do, where do you stop? You know, we're going to, you know, different places are making it possible to vote now when you're 16. Does, does, should we lower the age of, of purchase of different drugs to 60? Mm. Um, should it, you know, obviously in the States, alcohol can only be purchased um, uh, at the age of 21. It, it, it gets really, really interesting, I think, to begin to throw those things around. Now, my, my concern about the Prohibition 2.0 meme is that it, it looks like any move to regulate anything in any way that people who aren't um, full-on libertarians don't like is, is interfering. And I think that you two things. One is that, that, that people have different limits in terms of what they would recognize to be uh, uh, overly, uh, the state overly interfering in their, in their freedom. But you've got also just got to be realistic about as you begin to push for reform in reality, so when people have written the, 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 the statewide ballot uh, documents in the US, uh, somebody's got to put figures in. They've got to put limits in because it's written down on a bit of paper and you can't just go, well, we'll sort that out when we get there. Nobody's going to yeah. vote for it. Um, so that those limits do have to be stated somewhere. And I think that for me, I, I, I would rather that the, the people, rather than slagging off when, 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 when people have, have been overly draconian or, or, or have positions that they think overly restrict, that you get into a proper dialogue about what the limits should be. Because ain't nobody in government gonna just say it's a free for all and we can sell code to seven year olds. Yeah, I, I get that obviously there has to be a, a progressive system that have to be common sense, but I think the issue stands in a to catch 22, it, until organizations like the ACMD are no longer effectively propaganda arms of government and can actually release the information that they have, and we can have an adult discussion. And so I agree, there, there is probably going to be a nice cutoff age for neurological development when we go, that's the point. After that point, you, you can consume these things. And yes, there should be age restrictions. I agree with that. But there should also then be cultural changes. And I think that that would be harder. Yeah, I agree. If you suddenly legalized everything and created a social space for them tomorrow, the culture that binge drinks in this country switching over, fuck, that would be chaos, carnage, true carnage. And I think that it's, again, back to that intersection. Why is there such a binge culture? Why, is there, why do we have such a higher propensity in this country than the rest of Europe for, for alcoholism and for, for alcohol-related deaths? 
Absolutely, they, 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 there is a point. But, but what you're talking about there is bringing uh, uh, a methodology and a process into policymaking that currently isn't in place. It isn't in place for nicotine. It isn't in place for pharmaceuticals. Um, let's remember that the science isn't even there. The data uh, isn't even there for um, prescribing, legal prescribing of benzodiazepines. That's Mogadon, Valium, Tamazepam, um, uh, drugs that are uh, used for, primarily for, for, uh, to treat anxiety. They're very, very powerful drugs. Um, the government has no idea how many people are on long-term scripts for benzos, just doesn't know. The estimate is somewhere between half a million and a million. So it's either one number, which is actually way higher than the number of, of twice as high as, as the, the estimated number of, of, of crack and heroin users in this country, or it's a number twice as high as that. So it's either half a million or a million, which is, which is a ridiculous, um, uh, ridiculously huge um, gap to be, to be dealing with in terms of public policy for, for very powerful drugs that people find it very difficult to come off and have a significant effect on their psyches. So... Given that, that, that there is no evidence base, even for the number of people who prescribe benzos, let alone the culture that has driven um, high levels of anxiety and a treatment system that has allowed doctors to overprescribe very powerful drugs that people find it very difficult to come off in such huge numbers. It's not even there for benzos. Um, so that the idea of, and, and, and so you're, you're stretching everything from, from uh, uh, the lack of an evidence base, the lack of a culture that recognizes the, 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 the environment which has driven huge numbers of people to go to their doctors with anxiety and then be prescribed uh, what used to be called in the 60s, mother's little helper, um, to, to, to then looking at, at why we have the drinking culture that we do, um, to, to looking at why it's okay, for instance, for news agents to sell tobacco, uh, smokable tobacco, without a license. Um, you know, these are not a, a licensing act that, that, that says that you can't serve drunk people, which isn't enforced, that there are so many of these um, places where, where culture isn't taken into account and evidence doesn't drive um, a public health approach. But then you're looking at, for me, about the, the, the entire policymaking process itself. One of the things that I, I naively hoped for um, when I first set up Transform was a, a real hope that, that out of learn, the learning that could come from recognizing the, the failure of evidence and science and a genuine commitment to delivering good outcomes for the majority of people, given that that wasn't going on within the prohibitionist setup, that through, if we pushed for change, that not only could we change drug policy, but that we could change the way that all policy was developed. I mean, talk about grandiose, um, me, I mean, um, was, was that my idea was that, that, that we could learn from this and, and learn in such a way that we could begin to develop policy, not only that better met the needs of citizens, but enabled citizens also to, to play a part in the development <coughs> of policy. And you're talking about things like, which are now coming to play, things like citizens' assemblies and things like that. But what we're looking at really here is, is I think, 
the need for a fundamental change in the way that the, the, the policy is developed, whereby citizens create it and politicians enact it. They're facilitators, not authoritarians who hand down weird shit from, you know, crazy ideologies that emerged in at, at the end of the 19th century and then manifested in <clears throat> soldiers taking coke um, because they might not fight so well. That you know, whatever went, you know, that, that was the kind of dangerous drugs act and, and, and the, the, the another act that, that, that preceded that, 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 that drove the, the, the prohibition in, into the legislation and created mm. that, 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 that oddness. And that it was also recognizing that it was also driven by racism and, 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 and uh, fears about, uh, as you said earlier, about uh, fears about um, subcultures. That, 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 that the idea of, of effective policymaking would be to bring those subcultures into the policymaking process. And, and then you get different policy, better policy, much better policy. Yeah. But you have to have Sorry, that. end of rant. No, it's all right. But I mean, in the end of the day, you have to have intent to change, to want that change. Do you know what I mean? It's like if they're not arsed, it's going to be fucking dead hard to actually, you know, get that off the ground and actually incite that level of change, isn't it? Do you mean to change has to come from this... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was literally just about to reword and reiterate the exact same thing. So. <laughs> That's all I do. I just say the same thing over and over and over and over again, <laughs> using different words. It makes me sound ever so clever. Um, no, it doesn't. Um, it makes me sound very repetitive. No, I think it's to. This comes back again to the issue of where power lies. Um, and I think that the problem is that the power has shifted. We're well, not shifted, but power is. Um, concentrated and increasingly concentrated amongst a small group of wealthy people and an increasingly tiny group of politicians who emerge out of their own weird um, subcultures, like people who've studied PPE at Oxbridge and Eton and whatever, mm. um, that they're, they're, they have their own strange subcultures but don't recognize them as such. And, and that to the extent that, that the power is distorted in that way, um, and that those 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 subcultures then dominate. You're going to get some real weird stuff coming out the other end, and and I think that that that, that as you say that it's it's to do, it's to do with where the push comes from. And I think that increasingly there has been, uh, and this is a wider issue, is is a, is an increasing disillusion from citizens mm. about the nature of the political system which is where things like Trump and Brexit and all these kind of things come from, um, where people just don't trust the, the, the political class, the ruling class, the elite, mm. to deliver on their behalf. So they, they elect someone who, who talks a bit and sounds a bit like them. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where people like, like Johnson and Trump and Erdogan and and others come from those populist leaders mm. and i think that, that there is a fundamental that that's a sign of a of a, a real broken system yeah the, it the, seems to me that 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 fundamentally as we move more towards that that fracture and that that breakdown of that relationship <clears throat> of, 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 of what we would expect to come out of social democracy, liberal democracy, that it, it becomes increasingly difficult to create policies that meet the needs of most people. 
Yeah, the, the the image I had in my head as you you were kind of talking there was of like a drying waterfall, and then as the water pools and it stagnates, and then as it stagnates, it doesn't become sort of useful to sustain life. And it's those are kind of the pockets of, of culture that develop as the I don't know what the in the analogy of my mind the flowing waters are, but as I say, as they've, they've kind of stagnated, there is this disconnection, there is this um, disenfranchisement from the vast majority of the the other subcultures that don't feel represented by that larger mm. major, larger majority the the mainstream tv watching people that just still watch all the soaps and they're, they're engaged in that life they have a nice easy comfortable little world and they're quite happy and welcome to it mm. but they they vote based on what's coronation street saying about drugs okay so they're saying the bad things what, what is oh my down the hairdresser my my friend's daughter's nephew is this and that and they get all of, and that's the information that, inf- that, in, that informs them because they don't have any position to challenge outside of that and it brings us back mm-hmm. to that point earlier around people kind of being proud enough or being in a, a position of strength to be able to discuss and identify as a drug consumer or as someone that has had a, a, either a drug problem or someone that used drugs previously and, and mm-hmm. did so without any so much a consequence to their lives i think those are the anecdotes and those are the stories that are missing they are, there's never a story on in the page 25 in in the sun or summit saying um man found in house smoking a joint and eating pizza good night had by all mm-hmm. do you know what i mean they don't, they don't report on the banality of the vast majority of drug consumption it's all this ins- insanely over sensationalized it is it, it is and, and, and it's it's highly discriminatory as well so that 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 the the, 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 the the total um the, the tragic uh uh sur- surreality of that that sign that you can still see in pubs where it says drug dealing won't be tolerated on these premises um what on earth do you think that that, that uh, the bar staff are doing when they pull a pint and take some money for it and hand it over that 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 the the idea of drug dealing as being something totally different than goes on in a pub or than goes on at a doctor's surgery, or the the failure to recognise that Pfizer, Hoffman Ross, uh, 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 GlaxoSmithKline, these are drug producers, um, and and that that there's a the the disconnect between those cultures, it's really, really important for people who want to maintain prohibition to see drug dealing and drug production as something totally different than, than uh, 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 distilling or brewing um, and then vending in pubs or off licenses and then consuming in, in pubs or in people's homes. It's just a, a, a and, and and the, the absolute hilarity of seeing somebody drunk and falling over, that's hilarious. But, but, but when somebody takes spice and, and acts strangely, this is somehow a weird zombie drug. And it's, it's the, all these fractures are so important to maintain because otherwise the discourse completely falls apart. And even down to a phrase like drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Drugs and alcohol is fucking nonsense. Drugs and alcohol is metals and tin, dairy and milk, fruit and apples. Um, it's, it's just nonsense. And, but, but we all use it. And a lot, of, a lot of people in the drugs field still talk about drugs and alcohol. Um, interestingly, in, in Australia, they don't. Uh, they talk about alcohol and other drugs. And if you look at all their things, and it sounds, 
people that say, oh, you know, you can't use that. It's a really laborious phrase and it kind of makes you sound a bit weird. And it's like, that's the phrase they use in Australia, right across the piece, alcohol and other drugs. Now, it doesn't mean that Australia has a remarkably, you know, at, at a federal level, a, 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 a totally progressive drug policy as a result of the magic that comes out of changing the phrase. <laughs> it ain't like that, folks. And that's not what we're after. All it is, is about undoing that, 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 those fractures, those dislocations, and putting it back together, making it, giving it integrity. Drugs and alcohol does not have integrity. Alcohol and other drugs has integrity. End of. Yeah, it's, it's again, I'm reminded of, uh, I spoke at a Hempfest event in Glastonbury, and afterwards, there was some uh, women dressed as fairies in the crowd kind of came to us and said, you sort of careful of how you speak with the negativity. You cast spells with your words. And for like a year afterwards, I was just like, what the hell? And then one day it just hit me and I went, shit, actually, that's what I, with spelling and, and that, the, you follow that yeah, logical yeah, yeah, thought yeah. of then, yeah, yeah. the way you say it, you, you, you and, um, it's the Kierkegaard thing, name negate. So by naming the thing deliberately as that, you negate all of the possibilities. You walk down that line of interpretation of that term. And exactly. it's something I rebel against at the minute because that's what's happening, happening with medical cannabis. It's they're, com they're creating a compounded pronoun word that then has its own definition. But when others are saying it, they mean the medical properties of cannabis, but it, it then creates a universal language that everyone speaks and thinks that they're talking about the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the same, same is is happening now with psychedelics. It's mm. it's it's a different thing. It's a different thing if 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 you if you use it within that medical setting, and it is a much better thing, according to the people who who kind of are coming from that 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 uh, you know tripping with with your iPads on and lying down on the bed and um, listening to the right music in the right order. And the idea of, of just social rituals that come out of, 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 a, of a drug subculture are seen as, 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 as beneath it. Mm. And it's, it's like, you know, even down to the point, and, and I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly, that, 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 that somebody was looking to patent the use of cushions during a trip as part of their, 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 their kind of medical psychedelic uh, experience. Oh, I mean, it just it 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 it, it beggars belief um, that, that the people can think that that's that's and, and people who, who who tripped in a in a in just a, a kind of ordinary the, the, the ordinary subculture, if you like, um, you know, lying down on cushions. That's kind of often what you do as part of it. it certainly isn't something you can bloody patent. And I, and I think that, that it just, again, it's to do with those fragilities that exist where, where somebody even thinks that that's something that's okay to do. Yeah, I, I think it kind of comes with a, an ignorance of over-specialization or specification. So they know their field and they know their shit and all of a sudden, oh, wow, we've discovered psilocybin. Oh, well, it's not magic mushrooms. That's what the dirty hippies pick in Wales <laughs> and they go camping and they do weird stuff. Leave that there. But what we found is this isolated compound when we give people these pillows and this music and this and exactly that. They, they can't patent the compound, 
but they can patent the process. So then that, exactly. that's, that's what they're working for is the long end of this. They are all recognizing the ability to be Starbucks of mushrooms, not in the recreational adult consumer sense, but in the come get our therapies, come with our light and it'll be on billboards on the back of buses. Mm-hmm. And they'll work with that while still then arresting people picking wild mushrooms. That, that <clears throat> disconnect will, will still continue. So it brings on to a question that I really wanted to ask you, which is the direction that I'm seeing in the acceleration of this is is scary and you use the exact wording that i've written down here is 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 a corporate machine is how do we stop what is occurring now with with this attempt to patent all of these compounds and these therapeutic processes from once they get to the next result of that is is increase of quarterly profits what stops them going towards an alcohol model because again if we look at anywhere that's gone medical with the substance first they very quickly start to recognize the way all consumption has its value and all we're doing is is performing it within our uh, yeah, let's call it cultural confines. To be honest with you, I, I mean, I, I mean, good luck with stopping the uh, the juggernaut that is capitalism. Yeah, I mean, it's to do with where power lies again, and I, I, I really, it's it, in a sense, it's, it's it's a bit of a hiding to nothing, unless you think that there are ways and means of operating that that, that mean you can either fundamentally. Um, uh, shift the nature of the way that we do economics in the world or that we can keep people who want to make vast amounts of money out of a new uh, legal commodity out of that industry mm. I think that's a tough gig I think they've had their eye on this for a long time um, I remember to, to talk to people that, 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 again, you know, way back in the day, these aren't conversations you have now, but people who talked about the fact that uh, tobacco companies were already with the machines ready to go in terms of, of, of moving into cannabis. And it's like, yeah, they're called cigarette making machines. It's like, what are you on about? It's kind of, they're not special machines. The thing is, but it speaks to the issue of the fact that that, 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 that that corporates are geared up to take over new markets. That's what they do. And if inadvertently we, by virtue of the work that we do, create an opportunity, they're not going to walk away. Mm. And I, I, I just think it's, 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 it's been a real sadness, I think, for, 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 for many of us who, who've been campaigning for a long time on the basis of social justice, to see the corporates moving in in the way that they have and to see markets being structured in ways that mean that people who have convictions um, or just um, uh, small kind of connoisseur Producers who've been around for decades then don't get into those markets um, if they actually want to, um, but, but uh, 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 are excluded. And I think there's a real. It, it, it has. It's been a tragedy seeing seeing that work corrupted for me in the, in the way that it has been. But I think that 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 there also was a, a fair degree of naivety on the part of a lot of us where we, and it's interesting actually, I think it comes back to the values and principles stuff. If the values that you hold 
are predominantly built around social justice rather than maximizing corporate profit, profits, that you assume that lots of other people hold them as well. Mm, yeah. um, and that you 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 assume that that's the way it's going to work out. Yep. And I think that there were a lot of us who were naive in that sense. Um, but boy, have we been been shown um, how how it, how it can pan out. Mm. And I think that that for given the way that it, that it has worked in a lot of, of uh, countries with the uh, legalization by the medical and recreational cannabis that that geez you really wouldn't want to see that happen with coke um or with e and, and it, it really does it, it ought to be a wake-up call for, for further moves towards change that, that that anyone thinking that that it's going to be a happy clappy hippie hippie market is 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 deluded unless you really move in very early with with clarity around the values that you hold um, and a push on politicians to 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 fetter the worst aspects of of capital but but that isn't a trend that i see to any great extent going on in the world and i think that i, I mean the thing is you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be you shouldn't kid yourself mm. No, you are you are right. It's 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 an inevitability, I suppose. The well, I don't know about inevitable. That might be too far, but it's because I I have hope still. But <laughs> you just have to be realistic about where power lies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if it's a continuation of the current paradigm, it is an inevitability. But revolutions happen every day. Change happens every goddamn day. And I truly believe that we're going to end up in a position where the economics won't work anymore. You look at the, the calculations of it, it's about 2.5. So they spend, what, 100 billion a year on it globally, but it makes about 250 to 300 billion a year. So the economics are still there. And so at some point, that's going to start to to affect. And I think you're already seeing this with the diversification of Mexican cartels moving into weird shit like avocados and stuff. You know what I mean? They're then trying to push other markets. There's some, quite a lot of diverted back into black tar heroin. Um, and go for, for classic shit. But then you've got co- countries like Bolivia and Colombia seriously looking at domesticating their own cocaine production because, it, again, economically, it works out cheaper for them to buy it than it does for them to try and destroy it. Yes. Again, it gets really complex. It varies from country to country, and it depends. I mean, obviously, there's a difference in those for those countries who are part of the Andean region where there's been a long history of a culture of use of both coca um, and, a, and obviously a, a, a much briefer history of, 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 of uh, cocaine production and, and, and cocaine use, and then, and then cocaine for export. The, the, that's a very different situation, where it's obviously a different situation from Afghanistan, which now produces 95% of the world's um, uh, opium for heroin, and, and very different from countries that find themselves involved in, in significant amounts of transit. Not that they're exclusive, because all these, 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 these things are uh, mutable to a certain extent. So what are historically called transit countries also often have significant problems with use. Um, uh, and then, you know, a country like the UK, which now has the skunk market that it does in terms of home production. Look, it's, it's, it, it's, I think that the important thing, 
and this isn't done as often as it should be, is recognizing the place of illicit uh, markets, both in terms of production and supply, as part of capital. I think there was one of the, one of the things that, 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 that happened, I think in terms of calculating GDP, was that they included uh, a couple of illicit activities. I can't remember what they are now in terms of UK GDP. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, a, that's, that's a, 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 at least an, an evidentially progressive move to, to, to do that. And I think increasingly it's going to be useful as part of, of uh, uh, a discourse and a, an understanding of, uh, of, of certainly of, of, of capitalism and, and, and definitely the nature of some of the biggest markets and certainly some of the most problematic markets on earth. To, to recognize that they're just markets. Some of them have, have terrible effects, overwhelmingly awful effects. And some of them have a combination of good effects and bad effects. And some of them have overwhelmingly good effects, despite the fact that they exist in the illicit world. And, and, and I think that that's really, really important to, to, to begin to, to, to develop a more nuanced understanding of the nature of those markets and how they play out. Uh, relative to and as part of um, the licit economy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the point you brought up before. Oh, sorry, I'm hearing myself. Uh, the point you brought up before was, uh, I think it was David Cameron and George Osborne. They they calculated the illicit market for the drug trade and sex sex trade, and they valued it in the region of ten billion. So they, they put a European tax rate and paid a bill of uh, one point one billion. I think it was at the time. Obviously, the uh, right wing press were a bit like giving us a bloody Europe. But it was good because it then said, wait a minute, the recognizing this exists. Mm. They're showing the scale of it, which also shows that they're going to then track it. Anytime anything goes into taxation, then fuckers track it because they want their cut. So the, the more that it's observed, I think that the more we can see an, an idea of understanding that not every drug dealer, <clears throat> not every drug dealer is wandering around with a knife and a bat and is going to break yeah. your legs. They are not the vicious element that is portrayed in the, the majority in the media and in films. The majority of dealers that I've met, Grant, I've met some scary and horrible motherfuckers, often much higher up the echelon. Your average sort of street dealer, your average person is just somebody that is offsetting their own consumption. It is somebody mm. that enjoys the culture and the community of the people who also consume. And they are often well adjusted to, to reality and to society. They, they, they pay their tax. They don't commit other crimes. They're not thieves. They wouldn't cause anybody any physical or sexual harm or do anything untoward onto another person or onto society. And I think that that's another thing that they need an opportunity, as you're saying, almost as part of the legacy market to be grandfathered into whatever structure comes next. So if, if yeah. then there is this McDonald's everywhere of cannabis and you drive through and buy your weed, that should and can only exist in my mind if then everyone is decriminalized for their small uh, market share trade, if you know what I mean, like market stall. Sure. Just just one thing there. I, I, and I, and I, I agree with you about bring, bringing people in. Is is the, the 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 how much the government wants its cut? The, the question is, given given how much in the in the scheme of things, the level of tax evasion um, that goes on is gargantuan. Um, that those loopholes are allowed to exist. The the the, the most um, uh, money markets are corrupt to one extent or another. 
And the UK has, has one of the most, perhaps even the, the, the city of London is perhaps, according to some people, the most corrupt money market in the world. Um, significant amounts of money laundering um, go on. And, and I, I don't know that the government is that interested in, 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 in the tax take on the, the illicit market. Um, otherwise, they, they <laughs> legally regulate it. So it, it's... But could it not then be, not to be a bit conspiratorial, that they benefit greatly from the social consequences and the social control mechanisms of prohibition more than they would benefit from the, the amount that they reckon they can or, make? Or just the political capital. That there's, mm -hmm. There are all kinds yeah. of things that they... That, that, so absolutely. Um, it was one of the things we discussed uh, on, on, on the last session was, was, was is, it, is it fit for purpose? And it, it depends what your purpose is. And it comes back to your values, um, your principles, your morals, um, and where your power lies. And given that, that these, these are, so there's, if you like, there's, there's, there's an economic calculation and then there's a political calculation. And the political calculation is oftentimes going to be the more important of those uh, of those two. And uh, that's pointless just... having money if you're not in power. Pardon? Pointless having that money if you ain't in power. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about maintaining power, which is why we see all the weird stuff that we see going on where left-wing politicians come out with right-wing stuff and right-wing, it doesn't make any, it's, it, if what you need to be doing is, is maintaining power, if that's your overwhelming priority, then all <coughs> kinds of things go out the window and become distorted and corrupted in that process. And, and prohibition is just a prime example of how badly distorted, how corrupt and I mean, I don't mean financially corrupt, I mean politically and, 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 and morally corrupting mm -hmm. um, that process can be in terms of how it impacts on, on what people say and, and, and what they do <clears throat> in positions of power. It's true. I mean, if, if, if your primary goal is the maintenance of power, then why in God's name would you facilitate any sort of uh, policy change that would damage that? <laughs> It's, yeah. it, it is that that's simple. It. That's simple. Yeah. It's, it's it, really it, that. It, it really is. And that's so when people talk about political calculations or, or, or use the phrase, and I think it's really lazy. Oh, it's, you know, there's, there's all this evidence and science that, that, that supports uh, progressive policy, uh, uh, drug policy reform. And it's, oh, it's just politics that kinds of, it's like, what do you actually mean there? And mm -hmm. I think what people actually a lot of it, and it isn't the only, it's, it's kind of a euphemism for power. And I think that it would be much more interesting for that discourse to continue with people swapping the term politics for power and then continuing that conversation. Mm. It becomes much more interesting and much more, has a lot more grist. Mm. Ratchets kind of connect, the cogs work, and it begins to make sense. Because politics is just, fuck does politics mean it means a million different things to a, di um, a million different people power you know my ears are flapping now yeah, yeah. i'm interested <laughs> the hairs on the back of my neck have gone up and you will not hear that chucked around on Newsnight or or, or good morning britain as a regular bloody concept 
but it's and it's it's not a conspiracy it's just that the the, the the laziness and the ease with which with with people have come to use terms that that mean that those ratchets don't connect that that mean you can just have these kind of amorphous nebulous kind of meaningless discussions that don't go anywhere let's talk about power it gets really interesting it's not the only thing it yeah. really isn't the only thing, and I don't want to get too hung up on it. But I think that's the the the, the, the it done half get get a hell of a lot more interesting if you throw no, in that. I, th I think for the average person, yeah, to think of it, if they then look at everyone in in when they say politics, who are then the six hundred and fifty people that are within the chambers, um, and then any sort of minor councils, etc. They yeah they they miss the the larger point as you say that it's it's about the power structure and all of them are in power regardless of whether you are the government or not you are still within that that political sphere of thought so it's the neoliberalistic spectrum of left to right you fit in that or you don't talk you you you're left or you're right then you don't belong in the conversation get out and that's that's that concentration that ever concentration of power and I think as we've said yeah it makes those sort of conversations ever harder. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm quite mindful of time and I just want to ask you two speech sure, questions. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, first one is, um, you're a father. How do you speak to your kids about drugs? I'm curious, given, given what you've done professionally. Well, the, f the first thing is, and it's, it's no different than, than I was taught uh, at uh, Bristol Drugs Project when I worked there uh, within an environment that was driven by the now sadly almost lost concept of harm reduction. Um, and it really is an absolute tragedy because not operating from, from the, 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 the principle and the practice of harm reduction has led to um, thousands of people dying and living the most miserable, undignified lives that you could possibly imagine. Um, but within a harm reduction, um, framework, we were encouraged, and, and when we, we spoke to parents who were worried about their, their kids, whether they were using or not, was to encourage openness. Um, and I am in no way going to pretend that I am a perfect parent. Ask my fucking kids. <laughs> um, uh, but what I have done is encouraged as much as I can openness in that conversation. And I think that that's the key. It really is to enable uh, uh, honesty uh, to take place. It has to be open. It has to be open on both sides. I think part of that is, is talking about my own drug use. Part of it is, is, um, encouraging them to talk about where they're at generally, um, psychologically, emotionally. Um, because again, and this is, this is the key, it isn't about drugs. That's the thing that we've got to remember. It, it, it isn't how you talk to your kids about drugs, it's how you talk to your kids. Or even better, and I'm shit at this, how you listen to your kids yes um and they'll tell you that i'm crap at that but, but, <laughs> but um it it really is it's 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 listening it's listening and it's 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 
it has fuck all to do with drugs. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend in any way that I'm any better than it, uh, at it than anybody else. But, but my aspiration is to encourage openness and to listen. But you know what a fucking blabbermouth I am. I'm not very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully in some of it, they'll take enough information to be, to be well informed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. I heard that a lot in my youth. Um, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for answering that. One one quick one. I suppose this, this might run over the sort of eight o'clock uh, slot, but if you wouldn't no, mind okay. giving us a brief answer to it. Um, in 2010, you ran in the general election in uh, Bristol, if I remember correctly. Bristol West. Yeah, um, for the People's Manifesto. And I'm just thinking, obviously, you've been retired a couple of years now. You're getting a bit bored. You're getting a bit antsy. You know, the climates are changing. Would you uh, consider Would running? Would I do it again? <laughs> no way! <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, I have to say, it was one of the most awful experiences that I've had in my, in my political life um, for a number of reasons. Um, Firstly, I hadn't realized that as soon as I put myself up uh, as, a, as a potential parliamentary candidate, as, as a parliamentary candidate, a potential um, MP, was that it inter potentially interfered in my charitable work at Transform. So Transform got charitable status in 2003. So I had to make a real clear distinction between what I was doing with, uh, with Mark Thomas and his, his people, People's Manifesto stuff um, and what I was doing at Transform. And I was just really worried that the kind of the, the because we were, we were partly doing it as a laugh, certainly initially, well, I mean, obviously Mark was doing it as a, as a bloody hilarious um, stand-up show. And it was, it was very, very funny. He's a very funny man. I'm not a very funny man. I'm a serious <laughs> bloody activist. Um, and that problem of trying to marry uh, uh, something that had come out of a stand-up routine um, with a serious campaign um, was really hard and an absolute headfuck. Um, but then what happened was, 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 was much more disturbing so Bristol, I don't know if it's Bristol West. I think Bristol West has more hustings, so more um, uh, panel events where all the candidates sit down and to, ha to have uh, an open Q&A session with the public than anywhere else in the UK. So there were a lot of hustings that we could go to. Um, and I did. It was, the, it was the only bit that I enjoyed because I get to do this. I get to blah. And it, it was, you get, you know, because they were panel questions. It was like, what, what do you want to do about teaching arts in school? And I could come up with any old bollocks that I wanted, that, that I thought was clever or funny. or um, uh, uh, And then there were lots of questions about drugs because I was standing on the single issue of, of, of legalizing and regulating drugs. Um, so I really enjoyed those. But some of the hustings that I went to, um, I'd turn up as a, because I was just standing as an independent. Um, and they'd go, and I, you know, I'd, I'd go suited and booted with my, my um, uh, uh, election agent. Um, 
and they just say no we don't want you we only want the top four we only want the greens the the, the orange the, the the red and the blue so we weren't even allowed on the panel which was really quite disturbing for me um and and kind of increased my level of cynicism with the parliamentary process mm -hmm. not because it, it wasn't a personal thing but the and, it, and, and the hustings are run by independents you know it's, anyone can set up a hustings and it's up to them to decide who they want but the the ease with which they eased us out was really quite scary not because they they were it wasn't a conspiracy it wasn't because they thought we'd said say something weird it was just kind of well the only people who are going to get elected are you four we're the only ones that you have so and it, and it really kind of so there's no way i would ever stand as an independent again because i just don't think you stand a chance certainly not under our, our parliamentary system but specifically around bristol west and this is this is something that's really good is given the bloody labor party's unwillingness to engage um at the highest level and in a sincere way with uh drug policy reform one of the good things about Bristol West is that it's becoming increasingly green. Mm. Um, the election before last, or maybe the one before that, the Greens came second, I think, with 17,000 votes. So it's, it's, it's one of the constituencies that, that's as likely as any to become green. And the Greens have the best uh, drug policy currently in the UK. Um, so I think in, in terms of where I'd want to put my support, I, I, would, I would take away potentially from support for the Greens and I'd rather see the Greens get in. So there are two good reasons not to stand in Bristol West. <laughs> well excellent. excellent. Yeah, Danny, thank you very much for your time. Um, we will have you back on again to speak of some more nuanced things about so. policy because I feel with your 25 years experience, you've got some hella stories to, to tell. Oh man, I've got the, yeah, no, we could just do it on anecdotes. It would be really cool because <laughs> there's some, I mean, some really weird stuff and some horrible stuff and some really cool stuff. So yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to do it. Hell yeah. Look forward to it. We'll get it in the diary. We then, thanks again, Danny. Uh, we will be putting a up great a pleasure. We're putting up links to your Twitter. Is there anything else you want the people to, oh, yes. to know about? I need to do that uh don't vote for prohibitionist politicians always a good <laughs> advice, <laughs> advice. I, want, I want that with a point on a t-shirt there you <laughs> go that's that's merch. i want to see that merch i want to see that merch all right folks thank you for making it through this podcast as always if you've enjoyed this do check us out on patreon help us keep this little project going you can find us on all social media platforms at the simple life we'll be back in a week because there is no live this week so i'll catch you folks later peace and love being lazy bastard is way did you mention the patreon thing yes yeah, patreon oh, I, just I, did just so fast. I, did, I just did it so fucking fast you didn't even hear it <laughs> damn it you know, i put all my trust in you to make sure this thing works i'll sit here week in a week out and you're not even fucking listening why jesus christ but all i'd say in the last point is star shrooms does sound a pretty fucking cool name starbucks of shrooms I like it. Star Shrooms. Yep. We'll pattern we'll that. We're ready. We'll, to, we'll, right, we'll have it on next week's show. Thank you, folks. Cheers. See you later. We'll see you later, bye brother. Bye.